On this fourth day of our novena for Eucharistic revival, our Lord says to us, if you seek to be like me, then expect persecution for love of me. It's always good news to hear, huh? Everybody loves to hear that there's persecutions coming. Just gets you all giddy inside, huh? No, it's not the reality. Most of us are not excited by persecutions. We embrace them for love of Jesus or simply because there's no other option. But it's not something that we necessarily rejoice in, but it can be something we rejoice in if we understand specifically as a gift from the Lord, as an opportunity to imitate Him, to draw close to Him. You know, this weekend, we, as we begin the Lenten season, every year the, the first Sunday of Lent is the story of the temptations of our Lord and how He's, how he's compelled by the Holy Spirit out into the desert. And there he's tempted and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And then afterwards, uh, he is tempted by the evil one. St. Mark's gospel includes an interesting note that St. Luke and St. Matthew do not include. Uh, and the temptation itself is not even included in the gospel of John. But there's one particular detail that's included here. And it's that the Lord was in the midst of the wild beasts. He's out there in the midst of the wild beasts. Again, nothing that is said in the scriptures is extraneous. Nothing is just filler space. Filler space was not an option. When you have to handwrite the entire thing to get an extra copy of it, rather than just hit print on a computer and watch it shoot out nice and quick and clean, you don't have extra pieces and parts for no reason. Whenever you're preaching the gospel, whenever, you're, whenever you think that, 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 you know, that you need to save souls, you need to bring souls to Christ because he's coming back quickly, as the apostles and evangelists did, you don't waste your time saying things that are not important. You say what is necessary. Also, it's an established fact that, that each of the gospels, they match a certain length of scroll. St. Mark was one scroll length, St. Luke, St. John, and St. Matthew were two scroll lengths. They were purchased at a standard price at a standard length, a standard size. And so you only had that much space to work with. So you're not going to include something useless. Whenever St. Mark mentions the fact that our Lord was out there in the midst of the wild beasts, it is instructive to us because he's already from the first chapter, from the first page. In St. Mark's Gospel, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, doesn't mince words here. This is the, the first chapter, 12 verses in, we get to the temptation. In St. Matthew and St. Luke, it's the fourth chapter before you get to them. In St. Mark, he gets right to the thing, and he's painting a very clear picture here. The Lord is in the midst of the wild beasts. He's in the midst of those who would seek to devour him, those who are opposed to him, those that are hazards to him those that could bring him death. And St. Mark paints this picture as a starting point because that's how the Lord ends in this earthly life too. If you look, our blessed Lord, in the, in the, in the crucifixion, you know, one of the seven last words is, my God, my God, why have, I, why have you forsaken me? And we can, we can take that as, you know, the kind of the Lord feeling abandoned because certainly that's part of it. But he's also proclaiming to the people that this is God's will for me, because that's the beginning of Psalm 22. The Jews knew the beginning of the Psalms. 
They knew to be able to say just a little bit of a thing meant all the understanding of all the rest. Just as if I say, our father, all of you know to fill in all the rest of the blanks. So for our Lord to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was to draw together a picture of what was happening. And the rest of that psalm speaks in vivid terms about animals that are there prowling around him. They tear hands in his hole, hands, uh, holes in his hands and his feet. They are like bulls that are there to devour him, to consume him. Wild animals, wild beasts, all about him. That's what he draws to mind, the images that he draws to mind on the cross. And so it's fitting that St. Mark sets the scene right away in the gospel to say he was out there in the midst of the beasts from the first. All through his earthly life, all through his his three years of ministry in particular, and even to the hour of his death, surrounded by the beasts. We point this out because it's important for us to recognize this. You know, sometimes when we look at the life of our Lord, we can look and and think that everything was just kind of hunky-dory, a nice nice peaceful existence, and everything was fine, fantastic. You know, in the last three years, it got a little rough. In the last week, it got really, really bad. That's not what our Lord experienced. He experienced sufferings all throughout his life, the same as all of us. All of us have a taste of the share of the cross. Our Lord experienced the sufferings. In fact, he came to take them on intentionally, taking on our flesh and experiencing everything that we experience except having committed sin. And even sin itself and its consequence, he bore on the cross for us in exchange. Our Lord took on all of these things for love of us. He endured the wild beasts. He endured the persecutions of those who would be the wild beasts in flesh, in human flesh. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Gentiles, those who would come and mock and revile our Lord, those who would spit upon his face, those who would strike him, those that would come and clothe him in cloth and fine purple robes to make fun of him and then to rip the cloth off and there with it to go his skin. Those who were there simply to mock our Lord again and again and again during his earthly ministry, during his passion, and especially at the cross. He endured all of these things for love of us. He was truly among the wild beasts. And, as he tells us, if we would seek to be like him, we ought to expect persecutions also for love of him. We too are in the midst of wild beasts. We too experience, by virtue of our faith, mockeries and rejection and ridicules and a variety of injuries. We may not experience persecution to the degree that our Lord did during his passion, although some in this earthly life do. There are still martyrs of the faith in the world, even today. But it's for us to acknowledge that as we draw close to our blessed Lord, he will allow us to have an extra share in these things. Because the Lord himself is contrary to the world, because the world has been corrupted by sin. All of creation has been corrupted by sin. And it longs for a day of redemption. And if we are willing to follow after our Lord, if we are willing to imitate him and live a life like him, we too will experience that pushback from the world, both in the human and in the physical form. It's to expect these things 
to know these things, to embrace these things, is to be able to accept them lovingly. Again, not that we'll be giddy inside about it, but that it has a purpose. It has a meaning. There's a value to it. Not simply a cross for the sake of a cross, but a cross to be born in union with the Lord Jesus and to allow it to bear much fruit in us. Sometimes this cross of mockery or rejection or ridicule will come from the world. Sometimes it will be the, the world around us who comes to mock our faith and to, to make light of things, you know, to treat us as a bunch of simplistic fools who are not smart enough to say things, not smart enough to reason, so we just have to have faith. Anti-reason we're often being accused of. And so many things, the faith is contrary to the world. As the world goes more and more progressive, as the world grows more and more insane, really, when it comes down to it, it's the normal people that look like the insane ones. It's the normal people who begin to, in the world's eyes, be fools. You need to go ahead and get with the times. How often has it been said over the last few decades, especially to the church, to get with the times? Things have changed. We've progressed. And yet the church holds fast in the truth of Christ. And so we experience sufferings. But sometimes we experience the sufferings from those places where we would not expect to receive it, especially in the life of the church. We will receive mockery or rejection or ridicule from our family, from our friends, even from the church herself. We'll experience persecutions in these places too where one might think that we would be safe, we would be accepted and loved and understood. But I would venture to say that many of us, if not all of us, have experienced a bit of ridicule or a, you know, a kind of a, a, a simple chuckle from the lips of a friend, a family member, as they kind of remark about our faith, our observance of our faith, how simple we might be, how out of touch with the world we might be, all of these things. We're a bit too focused on the things of God. Just enjoy the world. Eat, drink, and be merry, they would tell us. But it's for us to endure these things too, even when they are the more painful ones. We can expect sufferings from the world, but when they come from those who are closest to us, it is a heavier cross. But in the midst of all of these things, it is for us to turn to our blessed Lord and to know his strength. It is to know that the Lord is with us. I'm reminded of the person of St. Anthony of the Desert, one of the great desert fathers, a founder of, the, of the, one of the desert movements of these men and women, the mothers and fathers, who would go out into the desert, and there they would fast and pray, and they would offer mortifications, and they would become immense, uh, immense spiritual masters, and people would go out to them to seek counsel and guidance and direction. And St. Anthony, a fantastic life, a fantastic monk who was, whose life was, was marked by fighting with the evil one and so many times. And one of them, he was there, and he was experiencing temptation. And the, the evil one was coming at him, tempting him, tempting him, tempting him. And he was fighting and fighting and fighting. He was, he was praying and offering psalms and, and, you know, and praying, and praying all the, the, the prayers that he knew. The Our Father, praying for protection, begging the Lord for his help. 
All of this time, it went on an entire night, wrestling with the evil one, as the evil one kept attacking again and again and again and again. And finally, it stopped. And in the quiet of his heart, he turned to the Lord and he said, Lord, where were you? Why weren't you here with me? You were, you, I, I cried out to you and nothing happened. You didn't answer me. And the Lord's response to St. Anthony was a simple one. I didn't answer, but I was here. I wanted to see you fight. I wanted to see you fight. Sometimes the Lord allows these temptations, allows these trials, rejections, mockeries, injuries, and all the things that the world may bring upon us. He wants to see us fight. He wants to see us come close to him and not just, you know, not just have a, a, a quick remedy, but to see that we're willing to endure things for love of him. It's when we endure sufferings that we really show the, the strength of our love. And sometimes the Lord allows these, these trials to come to us to give us an opportunity to say, Lord, for love of you, I endure this. For love of you, I'm willing to under, undertake this suffering, to bear this cross, to endure these rejections. For love of you, he simply wants to see us fight in these things, to allow our love to increase for him. But he has not left us to ourselves. We have him with us. And contemplating specifically, again, this aspect of Eucharistic revival, one way for us to, to be strengthened in these times of temptation or trial or rejection, when we experience the sufferings and the persecutions of the world on account of the love of Christ, a beautiful practice for us is that of a spiritual communion. The spiritual communion is a simple thing, but a powerful thing. Spiritual communion is turning to our Lord and asking him to give us the grace as if we had just, just received Holy Communion when we are unable to do so. It could be because we're at work and you just can't stop work in the middle of the day and run off to Mass, presuming there's even a Mass at the time. Perhaps you're sick. Perhaps you're you know, far away and you can't get to a church nearby. Perhaps you're in a condition where, you know, in a state of grave sin, where you simply can't receive Holy Communion, even if you were at Mass. Any of these types of things are places in which, at a moment, we are not able to receive Holy Communion, but we can have the desire to receive it. There are a whole variety of rote prayers, uh, scripted prayers that we can memorize, but the gist of all of them is simply this, Lord, I desire to receive you in Holy Communion, but I cannot at the present time. Give me the grace necessary to endure whatever it is that you have for me in this time. Give me your strength and your peace. Help me to know your closeness to me as if I had just received Holy Communion. And then continue about your day. To make a spiritual communion is in fact, as the church teaches, to receive the grace that one would receive from going to Holy Communion. You can receive that same grace out of simply of a desire, a genuine longing 
to be united to Christ. That doesn't mean everybody should quit going to daily mass because you could just make a spiritual communion in your PJs at home with a nice cup of coffee. Certainly there's a higher order of grace that is given in the sacrifices of our day, but in those times when we genuinely can't make it, but we genuinely desire to receive our Lord, or even if we received him already at daily mass and desire multiple times throughout the day to practice this devotion, it is fruitful is to know that somewhere the Lord is present. In some church, in some tabernacle, Christ is there, and he wants to give us grace. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to see us fight, not simply to be left to our own. And so it's for us to call out to him and to ask for that strength, to ask for that grace, to ask for that peace, to ask for that knowledge that that he is with us even in times where we may not feel that he is. And so as we offer this Holy Mass, we pray the grace of the Lord to be with us, that as we do have the opportunity to receive Holy Communion today, that it will be a source of strength for us, that it will be peace for us, especially in times of difficulty, in times of persecution, in whatever form they come, but also that the Lord will help to call to mind this devotion, this gift of spiritual communion, And that throughout the course of this week, if we are not able to come to our Lord in the sacrament, or if we have received him already and a desire to receive him more, we can simply pray to him, to call out to him, to long for his Eucharistic presence, to long for his Eucharistic grace, and to know that that grace is poured out generously. And so the Lord Jesus speaks to us today on this fourth day of the Novena. He says, truly, no servant is greater than his master. I loved you first, and I suffered mocking, ridicule, and rejected, first for love of you. If you seek to be like me, then expect persecution for love of me. I gave my beard to be plucked for love of you. What will you give to me? I gave over my back to relentless lashing as a gift to you. What will you give to me? I faced jeering crowds and spitting hatred to show you mercy. What will you give to me? I received unspeakable tortures and was adorned with nails and a piercing crown to bring you into my heavenly kingdom. What will you offer me? Remember, it was a person who lovingly suffered for you. I defined that greatest love and embraced it by laying down my life for you, my friend. I chose you to love and I chose you to suffer for. In return, Will you choose me above all things? Bring to my Eucharistic heart this day all of the hurt you've received from others for loving me wholeheartedly. What are you afraid of losing? Or who are you afraid of offending? If they persecuted me, surely they will revile you as well. Fear not, my beloved. Whatever you sacrifice for me today will be returned to you beyond measure. I will remember you before the Father and welcome you into my kingdom. Take courage, be stout-hearted, and trust in me. I will give you the consolation of the truth. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.